0: We hope you've had some success in better understanding your customers' needs, and as we move from that, uh, we don't want you to forget anything that we've done there. But we do also want to uh, start moving into why we want to understand those needs, and that is because we have to make a recommendation for a solution. We have to solve the problem, and that's uh, a big task that often we take on as understanding uh, our product, uh, how well we believe in it, and other components that might go with it so that we can make a solid recommendation to our customers that is meaningful to them so that they walk away going, wow, great experience, great product. They nailed it. Okay. That's what we want to have happen every time that we make a solution. Okay. So the first point that we're going to really hound when we talk about this solution process is one is product knowledge. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is so key to better understanding um well, I guess not better understanding, but it's key to allow you to um, sell what they really need, okay because mm-hmm. if if I don't understand all the features of my product, it makes it really hard for me now to answer questions to help explain why this one piece of it is significant to. Uh, why I'm making this recommendation, et cetera. You know, I, I'm always impressed when I go into uh, a lumber store and I say, hey, I'm looking for this one and they immediately go, Oh yeah, it's on aisle, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um the fact that they have cataloged all that stuff inside that store is so impressive to me. And that's what we're kind of looking at is is how well do you know and understand that and what is the depth of what you understand. And I think
1: uh something that's worth pointing out early on here is that when we talk about recommend a solution, I always say, think about the follow-up sale. Never think about this sale. You are not trying to sell them something today. You're trying to sell them something again tomorrow. Because, you know, so you talked about a lumber store where you want to go in and you've got, you know, a question. And it's like, if you walked out of there with, you know, a purchase of lumber and you're like, look, I, you know, I I bought a hundred bucks worth of lumber and I just, you know, loaded it up in my truck and then I went home. That's not going to make a difference to that lumber store. What they're looking for is they're looking for the person who, you know, when they're getting ready to build their shed, they're going to place a $3,000 order. And, you know, that person is only going to do that if they feel like these people are competent enough to know what's going on. And so I might get away with recommending a poor solution one time. But I guarantee that if I recommend a poor solution that you know, my chances of them coming back to me are very, very slim, especially if I've got a lot of competition. If others are recommending quality solutions and I'm recommending bad solutions, then, you know, I'm not going to come back. And think about when we talk about recommending solutions. In the online world, this is very popular. How many people buy a product based on reviews and ratings? like we we're driven by reviews and ratings. And there's a lot of psychology behind the fact that when you see, you know, someone who's got five-star reviews and, you know, they've got 30 people that have ranked them or someone that has four-star reviews but they have 20,000 people that have ranked them, you're going to think that that four-star review is better because you're like, oh, well, 20,000 people have done this. And so there's there's a lot of psychology of like, we want to follow the crowds. That's our, our natural uh, desire as human beings. We're herd animals. And so we want to follow the crowds. And so, you know, if you look at it and you're like, well, I might be, you know, I might be recommending a great solution, but if I'm inconsistent, I'm never going to get to those those high-volume numbers. And so, you know, if I'm getting online and I'm seeing, oh, hey, here are these recommended solutions, I want to have something that's consistent. I want to have something that other people believe in. I want to have something that I trust, you know, and, and it really starts to matter, which goes back to if I don't understand my customers' needs and even though I've got, you know, five stars, but I only have six people that really think that I'm awesome, I'm never going to have great business. I, you know, I need to have that, you know, that that critical mass to make a difference of these solutions.
0: If you're a manager or an owner, it's important that you're making sure that that product knowledge is trickling all the way through your company. It, it's okay to have uh, someone who works on an assembly line Understand the same things that they're trying to sell um, by the salespeople mm-hmm. and, and through the different departments, R and D, etc., etc. It's good to have that cross pollination in there so that when people are out on the streets and they talk about where they work, uh, they become a sales force for you because they understand that product. So uh, you, you'll see later on. We'll talk more about it when we when we get to that section of the of the training. But I want you to be thinking about that right, right now is what, how deep is the, is the cross pollination on the product knowledge throughout your whole company? Okay. So put that in the back of your mind so you can be pondering about that one. Now let's move to the next one is, and that is, do you really, really believe in your company or your product? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you, do you really, you know, and I'm going to share a great example. Um, and I, I hope, well, a lot of people have experienced this. As I share it, a lot of people shake their head and go, oh, yeah, I've actually had that happen. Um, going to a restaurant, uh, you go and you sit down, waiter comes by. <laughs> I know where you're <laughs> going. I know where you're going. <laughs> and what do I ask? What do you recommend? What do you recommend? And, and I'm amazed that I have had either a waiter or a waitress say, well, you know, uh, I don't hear that much, but they say this is good. Okay. And that just drives me nuts.
1: Well, and the crazy thing is, the, the thought that goes through my mind is I'm like, I know that you're getting a discount. I mean, what that discount is on food, I don't know. But I know that you're getting a discount. Some places, they'll let their, you know, wait staff eat for free. Other places, give them you know, like 10 or 20% off. And I'm like, okay, with a discount, you
0: still don't eat here. Why should I? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's That's the point that we're getting to is that, if there's any unbelief that comes across in your product or your company, it puts doubts in their mind, mm-hmm. and we need to avoid that. And I don't know if you have—I uh, mean—and you have all kinds of experiences with this one. And I, but uh, well, any other counsel? So, I—I've I, had an experience recently
1: where I've been working with a company doing some consulting for them, and the uh, uh, the product that they sell is not that engaging it's you know it's a business to business project product and so none of the employees really use it they're just like well it doesn't serve me you know i'm not i'm not going to use it and so a lot of them are having a hard time getting engaged and that's one of the things that i've been trying to work with them on is saying okay how can you believe in your product or service And what I've been doing with this particular company is I've been talking about what the company stands for with the employees. And I'll ask them, I'll say, do you believe in what they stand for? Do you believe in their mission, vision, and values? And do you believe in what the product ultimately does to help people you know even though it's a it's a business to business you know type uh, situation do you actually believe in that And so you could you could think of this uh you know like let's say for example you're you're a software developer and you know you develop software programs for other businesses and you're like i don't ever use them i just do whatever the customer wants and so how can i be that passionate about it like well are you passionate that your software is bug free are you passionate about all the hours that you save are you passionate about the frustration that you save and so you don't have to be a consumer of your own goods and services to be passionate about what they stand for and so that that's all i wanted to to point out here is that yeah you're never going to have good customer engagement uh without that. Now, let me let me just talk about one quick side note on that, and that is if I have employees who just are not passionate about what I do, I should probably go talk to them and say, "Do you really want to be here?" You know, cause I agree. If if they don't want to be there, then, you know, and and you can help them in a professional kind way to step into a better position with another company. Uh, but if people are not ultimately passionate about your products and services, I I don't want them on my team. They have to have a minimum level of passion for what I do before I want them on my team.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Now, what makes my business or why do they want to do business with me? What's so unique about me that sets me apart from Uh, From other competitors or products out there, Mm -hmm. Um, so why should they do business with me? Okay, and as you start putting your thoughts together on this one, it can't be things like, um, uh, well, I hope you're not the only gig in town because nowadays with the internet, it's going to start to kill you. Um, It can't be we can't be things like, well, we have amazing customer service, even (laughs) though. and there might be something to that. I don't discredit it because I, I'd still it, I saw a LinkedIn thing just this morning how someone shared an amazing customer experience they had and I went kudos. That that's stood out.
1: But if you have amazing customer service, then you can pinpoint what it is, you know, like are you the most knowledgeable? Are you the most friendly? Are you the most convenient or fast? You get them in and out super quick. There's got to be something specific. And there it's rarely one thing. It's usually a combination of several things that make that customer experience really stand out. So if you can't pinpoint those down, then I'm going to agree with you. You can't put that down on the list as a unique selling proposition where it's just like, we're the best because we're the best. I'm like, no, nope, doesn't work that way. Sorry.
0: And, and I'm also going to, uh, as part of this, tell you, be very, very, very careful if you put price. Okay. Because, uh, if you're putting price, it means you're playing in a commodity market, which is a whole different discussion, but, um, that we won't have probably in this training, but, uh, that's one area that, that we don't really want to compete on price. It's a tough realm to live in, even though price might be a factor in there, um, it, we don't want price to be in there, so we're looking for that uniqueness that really sets us apart uh, from someone else of why they should do business with us. And it, and it literally it might be the fact that look, uh, we might be slightly higher in price, but we are through you know step by step through that process when you go through and, and picking on like a home remodeling situation that that as you look and evaluate you know value uh know, reanalyze your rooms when you're looking at colors and and uh, style and other things that, that we come in and we do that free consulting because we make our money on the product side of it. But on the other hand, um, so anyways, think about what's unique about that. And you'll see a couple blanks down there to start sharing some of those ideas um, that really make you specialized uh, either product or service that set you apart.
1: So um, just to give a couple examples to get you thinking a little bit, uh, I had the opportunity to work with a freight forwarder that uh, was connecting with a uh, with a wholesaler manufacturer. And the person that did the uh, shipping for the wholesale manufacturer was talking to this freight forwarder. And they were saying, look, for us, the number one thing we care about is how much we can trust you and what kind of conversations we can have with you. We want in-person, real-time conversations because trust is so critical. Now, they do a lot of shipping, international shipping. They do domestic shipping all over. And so shipping is very important to them. And in this instance for this company, they were looking at it and they're saying, when I do these shipping, shipping rates change all the time. Shipping dynamics change all the time if I go after the lowest cost or the lowest price, then that's just gonna change. And I know it's gonna change. I need someone that can help me navigate the complexities that are constantly popping up. And so, you know, having that expertise, that trust, that ability to change in an ever-changing environment can be a great, unique selling proposition. And, you know, this freight forwarder, they actually did an excellent job because when they came in, the first thing they said is they said, look, we're going to let you know what we can do, but we might not be the best fit for you. And, you know, the the potential customer really appreciated that because, they felt like they weren't trying to sell, they were trying to provide a valuable solution. And if they weren't the valuable solution, they were willing to walk away. And they made that clear front. You know, so that's the kind of stuff that we're looking for when we say a unique selling proposition of, you know, what, what really matters. I don't know if you have any examples, Ethan, of, of other things that you could think of.
0: Yeah, we were just working with um, a company that you know, normally I wouldn't think of this as a unique selling proposition, but in today I uh, post COVID it, it certainly is. And that was uh, we have product in stock. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the construction, <laughs> construction industry, building material, things like that um, they have hung their hat on that. We have it in stock. We can start today guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And, and that. Uh, they're not the lowest price, but they're not the highest price. But I'll guarantee you uh, the fact that that when you go there and you know that when I get ready to do this deal that they're going to start tomorrow, they are going to start tomorrow. Yeah, And and that that has become a unique selling uh, proposition for them because no one else is able to say that.
1: And I love that example for two reasons. One is it only works if there is that relationship of trust because if they say we have product in stock and then they don't have product in stock right boom it's done you know like they are finished so you know they step 1 they did that relationship of trust but step 2 they understood how critical cuz 2 years ago pre covid we have product in stock yeah. cool you know i mean everyone's talking about 2 day delivery or 1 day delivery we don't care where you know whether you have product or not but today They care. So they understood the customer's needs. They have a level of trust so that the the customers believe them. And so now they can recommend a solution. So I think that's a great example of showing this process going step by step.
0: So while you have the mic still, let's talk about cross-selling.
1: Okay. So when we're cross-selling, we're looking at solutions, and solutions are not isolated. We don't want to have just a single solution. We want to have a package deal people don't come i mean the simplest way to put it is when i go through the drive through i don't just want a burger i want a burger a fries and a drink and so if i fail to offer all of those and we get it when you know when we're hungry it's like yeah everyone wants a drink with their meal that's an easy one to understand but do we understand that when we're a cpa and you know we think that we're going to limit our services to just their tax preparation or are we going to cross sell and say, you know what, I can do your tax preparation. I've already analyzed all your financial statements. I could actually do some forecasting for you, or I could do, you know, some uh, ratio analysis for you, and and I could sell someone, you know, the the cross sell opportunity. I could recommend a solution that they were not thinking about, and to me, that's really where cross selling becomes powerful, is because your customers come to you with a problem. But they don't necessarily know all the solutions. And if you limit it to just say, oh, you need your taxes done? Okay, I can do your taxes. Boom, done. You know, that's it. But if you say, I can do your taxes, and for a very nominal fee, because I've already analyzed everything, I can do a ratio analysis for you too. Have that report ready for you? Would you like to do that? You know, it's an opportunity to cross-sell to, you know, to really add something of value to to what they're looking for.
0: We see it really, really common uh, when you're doing an online sale. You know, when I'm purchasing from an online store, other customers also bought these products. So if I bought a pair of boots, it shows a pair of socks or something else to go with it. It's very, very common there. However, outside of online sales, we seem to be horrible at doing that. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a lot of money that's left on the table when we don't do that. So that's what we're trying to hopefully start you. Uh, getting you to think about is all right, what are the relationships to this product to other products that I have um, so that I can start uh, connecting those pieces to make it so that they have a better experience? And, and sometimes people, y- it's interesting that you, you might sell a certain product and specialize in it. And even though there's other products that complement it, uh, sometimes we don't think of you as being that supplier. Right. And so when I bring it up and they start to understand, oh, yes. Um, I I I sell paint, but guess what? I also sell blinds. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if I'm only talking about paint and I don't do the cross sell, that hey, look, if you're redoing your whole room, are you gonna have to change out some other things? And here's some other things that we do to give some consideration. So, be thinking the big picture of how do how do they connect and inter uh, relate, so that the cross selling just becomes a natural process for you.
1: Now. I'd like to really do a distinction here a cross-selling versus upselling. Now upselling has its place, but we're talking about cross-selling here, not upselling. Upselling is the concept of I'm always trying to get you to buy a little bit more, you know, I'm going to try and offer the the bigger package, I'm going to try and bundle something together. Cross-selling and what we're really talking about in this big, you know, the section of recommend a solution is I really am doing just that. I'm trying to understand their concerns and come up with the best solution for that. That might be an upsell. It actually might be a downsell. It might be, you know, when when you are really doing customer engagement... Not overselling them is, is very important. And we'll, and we'll talk about that when we get to the next section about creating value. Because if I oversell them, you know, and, and sometimes that happens with the upsell, they don't see the value in it. Yes, I, I met their need, but I met it in a very expensive way. And so they don't see the value that we're trying to create. And then that hurts the, the long term relationship of the customer engagement. And so, you know, the cross selling is saying, do I understand that solution? And, and do I fit that solution as best as I possibly can and better than anyone else? And if I can, if I can be effective on solving their solutions, you better believe they're coming back to you to solve other problems that they have because no one has one problem, and then, wow, everything is solved for the rest of my life. That's not how it works. It's, oh, this is my problem today, this is my problem tomorrow. you know, And so if you want that ongoing, and, and you know, and you mentioned this in the intro, it's cheaper to retain a customer than it is to gain a customer. Correct. Yeah.
0: So cr- cross-selling can be done, and it should become a common practice. Um, I'm glad you did the distinction between the upselling and the cross-selling. Um, and, and so hopefully you, you find some ways to do that one to, to generate a little bit more uh, revenue and, and what you're trying to achieve and do that.